The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Hey, okay. Thanks for reading. Um, this is a picture of Johnny Cash, who had a song called The Beast in Me. The Beast in Me is one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs. Some of the lyrics go like this. Um, the Beast in Me is caged by frail and fragile bars. Restless by day and by night, rants and rages at the stars. God help the beast in me. The beast in me has had to learn to live with pain and had a shelter from the rain and in the twinkling of an eye might have to be restrained. God help the beast in me. Now, if you know Johnny Cash and his music, he's obviously not saying there's literally a beast inside of him. But it's the kind of song that you sing if you know what, what a jerk you're capable of being. You know, it's a song that you sing about yourself. It's also not a song that you, like, that you would sing about somebody else. You know, you don't sing that about your husband or your wife. Um, you might think that talking about the beast in you might make it worse. I mean, you know, somebody like... Johnny Cash is that somebody with some scars, right? He's somebody who had some demons. Um, and, and you might think that talking about it, maybe that gives the beast more power. But Johnny knew that it, uh, it doesn't. In fact, the ones who can admit to having a beast, uh, the ones who can admit to having some demons, those are the people I think who are the most free. And, and that's kind of important because in our scripture today, um, this Easter, this resurrection morning, what we're reflecting on is the fact that the first person to see Jesus after he's raised is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. And to, to make sense of this story, you need to know that Mary Magdalene had a beast in her too, so to speak. In fact, Scripture tells us in Mark's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. Seven demons. Now, I could imagine a couple of ways her story could have turned out differently. Like, she might have said to, uh, to Jesus, no, 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 please, please don't take my demons away. I, I, the world doesn't make sense to me apart from those. I, I need my demons. I can't live without them. Or she could have said, uh, like, who do you think you're talking to, Jesus? Demons. I don't have demons. I'm far too righteous a person to be troubled by demons. Thank you very much. And uh, obviously, fortunately, that's not how it went. Uh, by the time that we find Mary Magdalene at Jesus' tomb, she is free. Jesus is as free as anybody can be. Now, we are continuing this morning through this series called uh, Jesus is What God Wants to Say. We're studying the Gospel of John uh, because we need to, because we forget what God is like. We forget what God is like, and we need to be reminded that Jesus has shown us. And today, uh, it just seems like a good idea on Easter morning to see what God can do uh, with somebody with some demons. The person who saw Jesus, the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead was a person with some demons. And I, that just seems like it's worth reflecting on. So this morning, I have some questions about Mary. All right, I've got some questions about Mary. Before we get to that, uh, I want to deal with some questions, though, about the resurrection, and then some questions about demons. So let's talk about some questions about the resurrection. 
Um, I get that some people think of the resurrection of Jesus as a legend. Uh, it's, it doesn't seem like it needs to be historically, literally true in order for Christianity to hold together in some people's mind. Uh, in, in other ways, like it contradicts everything that we know about science. So I, I get that. Um, I want you to know, though, um, Jesus' resurrection isn't mainly a scientific claim. It's actually a historical one. We're talking about events that happened in history or didn't. Now, I studied history in university, and I learned that uh, when you're dealing with historical claims, you don't use a scientific test. You use a historical test. So, for example, one of the tests is how reliable are the manuscripts? How reliable are the manuscripts? So, so let's compare... Uh, let's compare what we know. First of all, you could talk about Plato. Plato was supposed to have lived from 427 to 347 BC. Now, for all of Plato's life, we have seven manuscripts uh, of his work that date back to the 900s AD, which is a gap of 1,200 years. Okay, there's a 1,200-year gap between the manuscripts of Plato's work and today. We could talk about Aristotle, who's, who was supposed to have lived from 384 to 322 BC. Uh, we have 49 copies of his work, dating back to the, the 1100s uh, AD, which is a gap of 1400 years. 1400 years. So 1400 years between Aristotle's manuscripts and today. We could talk about Julius Caesar, uh, who lived 100, 100 to 44 BC. We have 10 copies uh, from the 900s AD, which is a gap of a thousand years. So a thousand years um, between the uh, manuscripts describing Julius Caesar and today. Uh, and despite this huge gap, nobody questions whether Plato or Aristotle or Julius Caesar lived. Um, by comparison, uh, the New Testament books were finished by the end of the first century within two generations of the resurrection. Think of that. Within two generations of the resurrection. And we have more than 60,000 full or partial copies of these uh, manuscripts dating as far back as the 130s AD. So we've got a gap of less than 100 years between the events and the documents written compared to Plato, Aristotle, and Julius Caesar. And so how reliable are the New Testament manuscripts? Uh, that's actually extremely reliable. Extremely reliable. So another test besides the manuscript test is, are there any contemporaries who agree with what we're talking about? Are there any contemporaries who can corroborate? And the answer is yes, there are. I'm not going to take the time to quote them here, but you, on your own time, please encourage you to check out Josephus or Tacitus or Pliny the Younger. Those will be three names for you to Google later. Josephus, or Tacitus, or Pliny the Younger. Um, so there's the, the test of contemporaries. The third test, though, is really what explanation fits the evidence. Okay, it's not a question of proof, but it is a question of which explanation fits the evidence. Uh, now, it is certainly possible that the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. Of course, that's, that's possible. Theoretically, but, but if that's true, then we need some other way to explain some stuff that pretty much everybody already agrees on. I mean, for example, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then how come peasants and farmers, uh, like the disciples, like the apostles, men and women with no education and training, 
suddenly they're traveling all across Asia and Europe to tell the same story. How can that be? And, and if the resurrection didn't happen, you also need to explain how come within a generation, the Roman Empire is persecuting Christians who won't renounce this one claim that Jesus is risen. And instead, they're willing to die for it within a generation of the resurrection. Why, what is that about? Um, you need to have an explanation for that. And if, and if the resurrection didn't happen, you need to explain why, as the plagues are sweeping across the empire, while other people are bailing and, and fending for themselves, Christians are making the hard choice to stay and to care for the sick, and thousands and thousands of Roman lives are being saved. Why is that? if not for the resurrection. And there's, there's more than we can say, but again, the, re- the evidence for the resurrection is pretty overwhelming. It's like, a, it's at least, it's as historically verifiable as any other piece of our history. So, so Christians aren't crazy for believing in the resurrection of Jesus. So let's talk about some questions about demons. Let's talk about demons for a minute. Now, in our culture, when we talk about demons, we're usually, we usually mean a metaphor for somebody who has a lot of troubles, right? Um, they've done some bad things, or bad things have happened to them, and they're sort of haunted by that. Uh, and, and some people have a hard time letting go of their demons. And maybe you know somebody like that, somebody who's haunted by their demons. Maybe, maybe you are somebody. Now, in Jesus' day, it was common to see people who weren't totally in control of their mind and their body, and and they were called demonized. And and, and that's a different kind of demon than what we're talking about. These are not metaphorical demons. These are actual demons. Now, what are they? Are they real? So briefly, there are some theologians who think that demons are angels that were cast out of heaven. They're invisible. They're evil spirits. and, And they want to turn people away from God. Now, uh, do I believe that those are real? Like, I actually do. Have I seen one? Have I seen a demon? No. Uh, have I seen some stuff that I couldn't explain? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some messed up stuff that I couldn't explain. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm the guy who, as a teenager, would uh, get hammered with my buddies, drive to a graveyard uh, when the party was done so that we could use a Ouija board on top of the gravestones there. Okay? Um, don't do that. You don't need to do that. You're actually way better off, okay? Believe me, you don't need to do that. Um, now, do I believe demons are responsible for all of the wor- evil in the world? No, I don't. Um, but are they responsible for some? Well, I, I actually don't see why not. I mean, uh, I, I know it might sound uh, crazy to say that, but, but take, for example, uh, an evil that we can see. Like, let's talk about the example of consumerism, Okay. Uh, you and I are consumers, and as consumers in this culture, unless you are extremely careful and conscientious, you participate in a system that's rooted in exploitation and racism and greed. All right, sorry, it's just, it's true though. Um, and, and we, so we as the consumers at the, at the other end, we don't see the sweatshops. We don't see the slaves who built our cars and our computers and our appliances. But we can sleep at night because we never need to see their faces, right? We don't need to see the faces of those who suffer to make our stuff. And that's just one example. Um, 
See, our lives are already shaped by these invisible, impersonal, evil systems. It's invisible. It's perfectly invisible and brilliant, actually. Um, and our lives are so intermingled and shaped by these systems. And, and so it's like, if that's true, if we're willing to grant how, uh, how involved and how influenced uh, our lives are by these impersonal evil systems, is it really that much of a stretch to say that there are such a thing as demons? I, I, I actually don't think so. Like, when I hear stories of demons, I go, yeah, like, that... that could very well have really happened. Why? I don't see why not. And, and scripture says that Mary Magdalene had seven of those. She had seven of those, and her demons aren't just metaphorical. They are actual evil spiritual beings who tried to ruin her life, and Jesus rescued her from them. Now let's go back to the story, because I've got, again, some questions about Mary. Now I've, I've studied this story pretty carefully, and, um, and I've got some, you know, I'd love to be able to ask Mary a few questions. Like, for example, why didn't you look inside? Why didn't you look inside the tomb? You, you got to the tomb before sunrise. When you saw that the stone had been moved away from the, from the tomb, you, you don't look inside. Instead, you went to get Peter and the other disciple, uh, in other words, John. And, 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 and then we read that she tells these disciples that they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't we do not know where they have laid him I just find that really interesting it's interesting that at verse 2 she hasn't even looked inside but she knows that the body of Jesus is missing I wonder why that is Uh, I wonder why John and Peter didn't see the angels like in verses 5 to 7 the guys show up they look inside the tomb what do they see they see linens they see face cloths all folded up, neatly, neatly piled there. And they, they believe her. They believe that Jesus is risen. And it's interesting, though, they're looking into the same tomb. And in a few minutes, Mary Magdalene is going to look into the same tomb. And she's going to see angels. The guys look in there and they see blankets. They see laundry. Mary can see angels. What is that? What is that? What's that about? Another question I have, what kept Mary from looking into the tomb in the first place? How come in verse 11, she stands outside the tomb weeping, she hasn't yet uh, looked in? What did she think she would see if she did? And, and like, how long did she stand there weeping? Was it, Are we talking about minutes or is it an hour? What's going through her mind? And, and what is it that finally made her look inside, as I imagine, with just tears streaming down her face? Another question I would want to ask her is, why didn't she ask the gardener to return Jesus' body? I don't know if you noticed this, but in verses 14 and 15, so Jesus is talking to her, but she doesn't recognize that it's him yet, right? She's, she's, she still thinks that this is the gardener, she, and so she makes a reasonable guess. Um, the gardener must have moved the body of Jesus. The body's missing, the gardener's here, and so if I were her, I'd be like, dude, what did you do? Put the body back. Tell me what to find. Help me find the body so we can put it back. Um, but no, she doesn't accuse him. She just politely asks the gardener where the body is so that she can deal with the problem all by herself. Why? Another question I would have for Mary is, is, is what made her finally realize that it was Jesus? Like, a, 
What, why did you finally know that it was Jesus and not the gardener? Like in verse 16, by the time Jesus calls her name, she's already been chatting with Jesus quite a while, and she doesn't realize that it's him. Again, she thinks he's the gardener. But everything changes when he calls her name. She realizes it's him and he, that he is alive. And there's something important here for us to catch. You can't actually see it in the English translations, but when John, in his gospel, when he refers to Mary Magdalene, he uses the Greek form of her name, which is Maria. Um, but here, he quotes Jesus, John quotes Jesus, uh, calling out Miriam. Miriam, which would not be her Greek name, but her Hebrew name, the Hebrew form of her name. And that's the name that her family would have called her. It's the name that her friends would have called her. It's the name that her teachers and her neighbors would have called her. And I wonder if hearing Miriam, is that what made it click? Um, another, another question, why Mary? Why Mary? Like, of all, like all of the gospel writers agree that Mary Magdalene was the first person to meet the risen Lord Jesus. And that's, that's surprising. I mean, like even ignoring the fact that she'd had demons, um, and, and many people would have thought she was crazy, uh, women in this culture aren't seen as like even close to equal with men. They're not allowed to testify in court cases because it was believed that their lady parts made them uh, unreliable witnesses, okay? Women are they're considered unreliable witnesses, and, and the resurrection is already unbelievable news. Isn't that right? The resurrection is already un unbelievable news, and in Mary, you have an unbelievable witness. And we could go on and on with other questions, but I think that we're forming a good picture of Mary, don't you think? I mean, she's survived a lot. She's got some scars. She seems like she doesn't feel right being the first one to look into the tomb. She seems aware that God is in there somehow. God is in there in the darkness, but, it, but that doesn't make it easy for her to look inside. When she finally does, when she finally looks inside, peers into the darkness, she's not even surprised to see uh, angels inside. Do you, do you see that? And, and, and that's why I love this quote from, from Nadia Boltz-Weber, a minister in the U.S. She says, Mary Magdalene saw angels because she was not unfamiliar with the darkness. She had the kind of night vision that only comes from seeing what God does while it's still dark. Let me say that again. Mary Magdalene had the kind of night vision that only comes from seeing what God does while it's still dark. You know, when, when she turns to the gardener, it's, she seems like she'd rather find the body herself than risk a confrontation with this, this gardener person. When she realizes that it's Jesus, when she realizes that he's alive, the one thing that she wants most of all is just to hold him. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, uh, like sure, it was Jesus who freed her from her demons once upon a time. Uh, sure, like, it's Jesus who, who even keeps the demons at bay in Mary's life. But above all, her grief is over and her joy has come because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and she knows that this changes everything. And, you know, if, if, if not for what Mary had lived through, I can imagine this, gone, this story could have gone uh, pretty differently. I mean, think about it. Like, there's a kind of person who, if they were Mary, 
They might say, well, I'm glad that you're alive, Lord. But see, I really miss my demons. I can't imagine my life without them. Can you please give them back? And there's another kind of person who might say, well, I'm glad that you're alive and everything, Jesus, and I'll follow you. Just don't ask me to get close to people with demons, okay? Is that a deal? Like, I'm with you, um, but if you're going to ask me to hang out with people who have demons, no, I can't. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hang out with them. Um, just so you know, both of those are wrong. Neither of those is okay. These are just two different ways to show Jesus isn't in charge, and you are. Gospel says to both people, whether you're religious or irreligious, it says, look, your demons don't define you, and only by facing demons can you actually be free from them. Look, if you're haunted by your demons, or if you're maybe living in denial that you've got any, you got to know Jesus is what God wants to say to you. Listen, Jesus is what God wants to say to you. He loves us. He wants good things for us. He offers healing and forgiveness and a changed life. He doesn't wait for you to have conquered your demons first. Okay? God isn't waiting for you to conquer your demons and he's not withholding these good things from your life if, because you have failed to conquer your demons. That's not how he works. That's not how the gospel works. And I don't know what you were taught when you were younger. I don't know what you came to believe through your many years of religion or irreligion. But God doesn't wait to bless you and love you until after you've conquered your demons. And he's not withholding his love for you because you failed to conquer your demons. All that is required is for you to be able to say, I've, I've seen the Lord. I've, I've seen Him. I, I know He's alive. I, I have seen Him and I've experienced Him. And, and I don't know if you can relate to that, but listen, um, I've, I have lived it. I've lived it. There have been times in my life when I almost walked away from this whole thing for good. Times when I almost walked away from the Christian faith, I, I, I was done with it. I was ready to walk. One of those times was in our second year of marriage. Um, Heather and me, we were, we were living apart so that I could do teacher's college and so she could finish her undergrad degree. Um, I was on my own. I was isolated. I was angry. I was bitter. Because uh, I, I was like, this is not what I thought I was signing on for as a Christian. I was tempted to sin. I was tempted by impurity and lust. And, and I fell into a lot of bad habits. And, and you might say, uh, my demons caught up with me. And, and one thing kept me from walking away from it all in that time. One thing kept me from walking away. It was the fact that, that I knew the resurrection happened. I knew it. I knew that it happened. I believed I was, that it happened. And I couldn't pretend otherwise. Like whether I lived in line with it or not, I knew that it was true. I knew that I believed it was true. And I, I didn't know if I believed anything else. But I knew that one thing. And that is what kept me. That's what kept me. So that, so that no matter how many times my demons came back, and they do. No matter how many times my demons try to come back, Deep down, I know, I know in an inescapable way that the tomb was empty. I know that in, 
that in better days, ah, that I, I, I've seen the Lord, that I have seen the Lord, and, I, and, and that whether I see him or not right now, I know that I have seen the Lord, and sooner or later I will again. Listen, friends, I don't know if you've got, I don't know if you've got demons. I don't know if you've got demons. I don't know if the demons are overpowering you or if you just can't even acknowledge that they're there. I don't know if you believe there's a beast in you. It may be that you need to ask somebody else for you. Do they, do they believe that you've got a demon, that you've got a beast in you? Maybe it's some, uh, some secret habit you can't beat on your own. Or maybe it's, maybe it's something that you have endured at the hands of somebody that you trusted. Maybe it's something that no one knows about but you. Maybe we think of all that we've lost in this pandemic and we think about that and we're scared and confused and all we can see right now is darkness. This pandemic is so dark, isn't it? And it's like, how could God bring new life out of this? Seriously, how could, how could, how could anything good come out of this? Listen, this, this Easter, I think if we ask Mary that question, I think that she would say that is exactly what God does. She would tell you that bringing new life and bringing good out of this darkness is exactly what God does. She would tell you that the beast in you is no match for God's love. She would tell you that our demons are no match for his grace. She would tell you that if you are willing to look through your tears, look straight into that darkness, even just for a minute, bet he's going to show up. He's going to show up for you with a, with a name for you and, and with a purpose. I pray you'll know that. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening.